Folks, welcome back. Conlon Farrell with you here. Opening arguments, episode five. Opening arguments is always brought to you by Conduct Detrimental, your leader in sports law coverage. A great show here planned for you. And today, in the main event, the battle of the three L's. Debating out of the blue corner, a 3L from Hofstra University, Jason Morin. And his opponent, also making his debut on opening arguments, a 3L from Duquesne University, Steph Burton. All right, and you can tell that very mediocre Bruce Buffer impression will have something to do to tie in with today's show. Gentlemen, though, how are you? Thank you so much both for coming on. It's a pleasure to be doing here. Excellent, doing man. Well. That, that intro was a little more than average. I, I liked it. <laughs> All right. Well, 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 we'll try to keep that as the uh, trajectory of the show a little more than average. You know what I mean? Do something a little <laughs> above average, but a little extra, make it extraordinary. Okay. Well, gentlemen, so that above average segue leads us to our first debate topic here on Opening Arguments, Episode 5. This past week, UFC in the headlines once again, but this time not for what happened in the octagon, but what happened outside of it. Jorge Masvidal attacking his former friend and teammate, Colby Covington, in a Miami steakhouse, leading him sucker punched in the face. Covington uh, damage to a $90,000 Rolex. So we'll start. We'll kick off debate topic number one. Should the UFC begin to implement harsher penalties for fighters being arrested? Now, this isn't something that... Sport has had um, issue with just this time, but in the past, there has been issues with fighters running in trouble with the law. Jason Morin, we're going to kick it to you for the first time. We're going to have 45 seconds this episode to make your opening statements and uh, feel free. Go ahead there, Jason. Your, your time to shine. Bro. Yeah, the, the answer is absolutely not. They should not implement harsher penalties. I mean, uh, first of all, the, the current system works. The UFC has never been more popular. Uh, fighters have never been more polarized, and the actual fights have never been more looked forward to. If you think about what the sport represents and what the league represents, this is not golf where we need to be so buddy-buddy. Uh, you know, we can't promote fighters getting into legal trouble. Obviously, attacking another one is not acceptable. But give him the proper penalty, move on, and guess what? The hype is only built. I mean, uh, Covington called him a deadbeat dad. You don't think he's going to respond? So Masvidal did what he thought was right. I'm not saying it was right. But guess what? If we want to rematch this fight, you better believe the world's going to tune in. Steph, your counter. 45 seconds. All right. Um, I disagree. I, Jason, I think you make good points, um, especially as it relates to trying to really get the hype going. But I don't really think that's exactly the thing that Hangar has one. Um, and even just beyond the Masvidal incident, in general, the UFC has been very, very you know, hesitant to actually enforce any sort of punishments. So, for example, there was John Jones, a um, repeat drunk driver. But he's never really faced actual punishments from the UFC, from Dana White. So I think that in general, this is just a poor precedent that, you know, people can essentially go and do whatever. And I think that there's repercussions to all these sort of actions and just jumping someone at a restaurant or, you know, other sort of mal acts. There's just not there's not something worth encouraging, worth really trying to put out and keep building your reputation on. All right, Jason, your 30 second counter. Yeah. And, and, you know, morally, I certainly agree with you, but we're talking about a business that Dana White has to run. Uh, so he's not the arbiter of, of good morals in the world. So, you know, sometimes 
he it's not his job to rehabilitate John Jones or to get John Jones to a point where the public can be proud of the product UFC is putting on. At the end of the day, John Jones sells pay-per-views. He's one of the best fighters in the history of the sport of mixed martial arts and of the league. And they're going to get him into the octagon. And that may take some uh, consequences. Steph, 30 final. Yeah, so I, I agree. And, you know, I don't even want to look at this necessarily from like the moral perspective. But I just I, I don't think it's a good business practice to really continue to associate with those sort of acts, you know, almost encourage it. I get that it sells, but I think that that's still poor for the reputation in the long term. Um, and this is also something that is very kind of, I guess I'd say sport by sport, but as it relates right now to UFC, I do not think this is what the sport needs, especially as it relates to aggression and things that we see outside of the ring. Just let's not encourage that. All right. And our first debate topic ends right there. Gentlemen, a heated, lively debate and certainly a sport that is growing, uh, amongst the public, but Stefan, uh, Stefan, rather, excuse me, the point awarded to you. I just think public perception in a sport that is needing eyeballs on it and needs to grow its audience further. I know it's not Danny White's job. He's not the morality police. It's not, you know what I mean? Let's all hold hands and sing Kumbaya. But at the end of the day, we are, this is a constant thing that's been going on with the sport for a number of years now. We go back to Conor McGregor having the incident, throwing the chair to the bus. There's been other arrests. Dana White stepping in here and making an example will be good for the sport down the road. And I think will bring, bring in say, hey, maybe other commissioners across other sports, maybe take a look and say, hey, he's taking control. We need to do the, uh, we need to do the same. All right. That was quick. 45 seconds. I like, we kind of go rapid fire, make your point. You know what I mean? Get it, get it right to it. Guys, a great first debate topic. Now we didn't even touch on this beginning, but we have our final four set. It's a blue blood boiler in Louisiana. We got Villanova, Kansas. And then of course the most anticipated matchup, the Duke blue devils meeting their arch rival, the North Carolina Tar Heels after North Carolina, Ended the magical Cinderella story. America's team, Dougie Fresh, Doug Eater, and the St. Peter's Peacocks losing. Unfortunately, it wasn't very close today, guys. Not overly competitive. But what a magical run it was for the St. Peter's Peacocks out of Jersey City, New Jersey. So that leads us to our second debate topic on our opening arguments, Episode 5, presented by Conduct Detrimental. Based on the run of St. Peter's in the NCAA tournament, will the collective economic boost for the player, staff, and program be the over or under – $10 million. Guys, Stefan, you won opening round one. Go ahead. You're uh, 45 seconds, sir. All right. I'm going to keep it like short and sweet. Um, I don't think it's going to be over. I'm going to take the under on this heavily. And I'm going to take the under because I don't think that immediately the program is going to really, you know, I just latch on to really what all the NIL possibilities could present themselves to be. Now, of course, you know, they had a really good year as it relates to Peacock and the revenue that, at least the viewership and the revenue that's attached to that. But I think that before you start seeing tangible results, it's going to take at least like another season or two of, you know, story success to really start actually becoming a household name, in which case then you'll see really that sort of boost for the program, the staff, the um, the team, really. But, All right, so, Jason. I'm on the under. Oh, there you go. Finish your Jason, 45 deal. Steph, it's going over. Uh, you mentioned that you're not going to see the results immediately. There's no expiration date on this prompt. I mean, we already have Kevin Willard moving from Seton Hall to Maryland. Guess who's going to Seton Hall? Mr. Holloway is going to get a deal. It's being reported as we speak. So uh, if you look at Willard's previous deal uh, as the coach of Seton Hall, that was about uh, $1.52 million per year. So we're already 20% there. 
Now, if you look at the players, uh, you have social media interactions increasing, what, 5,000% by the day for each uh, player, especially Dougie Fresh. Um, so what you're going to see is just NIL deals coming across the board uh, for a lot of these players. And this is going to trickle on for years and years to come. The peacock is now a national symbol. It's an icon. And guess who's going to reap benefits from that? The program, the players. Right there. Steph, 30 seconds. You're right. You got me on the technicality. You're right. There is no um, expiration date on this prompt. Now, that being said, I think that we should just focus on what's immediate, you know, this season or next season, just based on, yes, of course, you can speculate that 20 years down the line, it's going to be like that. And it probably very well will be. I wholeheartedly don't think that even with the coaches going out, I don't, I want to focus on the money that's coming into the program. I want to focus on this, um, the NIL deals that the athletes are going to start getting. And I'm saying that, you know, yeah, you're going to get a couple of looks, but not yet. 30, Jason. And, and one thing that we're not focusing on that I have to bring up is uh, how about the just promotion and marketing that they have reaped from this tournament? I mean, you're having this school on CBS primetime with the entire country tuning in. You don't think that is going to uh, reap the benefits of, of millions of dollars worth of, of marketing, what that would have cost? And I understand that we're not talking about safe costs here, but they will uh, absolutely gain the benefits that would have been derived otherwise from that expenditure. So not even the NIL deals, not even the coach who may make up the 10 million themselves, this school. Right there, more and you're done. <laughs> Guys, good, good points there. Both well made. Um, Steph, you hit the nail on your head in your first argument with the gavel. That's what's symbolizing you won round one, but Jason, you're going to take home round two there. Like we said, he got you on a technicality in the beginning because we didn't have an expiration <laughs> on the over under 10 million, but to his point, Shaheen Holloway looking like he's already moving back to his alma mater, Seton Hall. Dougie Fresh signing not one but two NIL deals before they even played their Sweet, uh, sweet 16 game against Purdue uh, with Barstool Sports and Buffalo Wild Wings. This team, they seized the opportunity. Doug Eater, thank God his razor blades ran out of uh, blades before he had to go fly for his first round game because the stash certainly paid dividends for him financially. So... With that said, we're tied at one. Round three coming up next, our final debate topic here on episode five of Opening Arguments. And our battle of the three L's comes down to the third topic. How fitting, gentlemen. It's been a pleasure having you both on here. But hey, we gotta somebody's gotta be declared a winner in court. There's winners, there's losers. You're both lawyers or aspiring to be. I'm not, but I'm enjoying the fun as always. Okay, so we're gonna go back to one of the hardest hit topics in the sports law world so far this year. And that's been Deshaun Watson. Deshaun Watson now being traded this week from Houston to Cleveland in exchange for numerous first round picks. Uh, the Texans remain firm in their asking price there and they got their match. Cleveland Browns giving him a five year, $230 million contract fully guaranteed, even though he's got 22 civil lawsuits still pending. Now, gentlemen, the question here, the third and final, should the league have announced its decision on Deshaun Watson's suspension or pending suspension prior to his trade to Cleveland? Jason Moore, and you won last round. You start us. Thank you, Conlon. And, you know, there's a lot of information that we don't know that pertains to this question. But the answer, in short, is absolutely. They should have announced its decision to suspend or its decision not to suspend. And that's because the NFL has a duty to the 32 members of the league and it has a duty to the image of the league. So when you have a player like Deshaun Watson, who is obviously highly coveted on the market, and a team like Cleveland risks its entire future financially and through draft capital on that player, 
the league needs to provide direction on what is going on with that player. It needs to proact and not react. So now we have a situation where uh, a team is waiting on an NFL decision and things may not change. So the NFL may just act here out of, uh, you know, just sheer uh, decision to just suspend based on speculation or not. Steph, go. I feel like absolutely not. Um, you know, I think that you made a good point in terms of, Jason, you made a good point in terms of having responsibility to the other member organizations, but by and large, I don't think so. There's the theory of caveat emptor, buyer beware. You know this is going on, and if, you know, you wanted to enter into this transaction, this trade, and acquire this player, you get all the baggage that comes with. So, you know, I think that, you know, it might not even happen anyways, but these, these are the risks that you take when you, you know, go out on a limb and you send everything for players that have a lot of unfinished business. And, you know, another point I really is also think is worth noting is that, you know, that duty, um, it's not really as deep. It's, this is, at the end of the day, it's competition. So it is what it is, charge it to the game. Jason, 30. Yeah, sure, buyer beware, I, I totally get it, but shouldn't the NFL take some leadership and actually make a decision so that the teams are informed as to what they're getting involved in? I mean, the NFL had every opportunity in Roger Goodell to put Deshaun Watson on the exempt list. If they would have done that, that makes him untradeable. A player on the exempt list cannot be traded, and it's basically uh, a paid lead. You know, that's a separate argument. But why should the NFL sit back and wait for things to settle out instead of uh, taking proactive leadership and making a decision and being firm so that its member teams know what they're dealing with? Steph, round you know, out. maybe. I think that honestly, you kind of answered that question in and of, like in and of itself when you mentioned that Roger Goodell did not put him on the exempt list. I think that that could be possible because you know maybe there's no suspension, and actually maybe this is even not that big of an issue. So that would actually bring me back to another point, which I would say that you know maybe disclosing those sort of things should be done on a case by case basis. But as it relates at least specifically to Deshaun Watson and the Browns, it's almost a moot point only if it actually does in fact turn out that he's not going to be suspended. Which again all things kind of indicate so. And that is it, gentlemen. Heated discussions across all three topics in various sports. First off, thank you both for participating, but let's render a decision here because one must be made as always. Well, we'll go back and I'll go back to my first point, which was rewarded to Steph saying Dana White needs to set an example. Another, I'm all for leadership from the highest authority, and that is the commissioner across each of these sports. Roger Goodell, Jason Moore, and you win defending Roger Goodell. Oh. Who would have thought Roger Goodell would actually help somebody out winning something? You know, he's not known for that, <laughs> but this show is uncommon. Be uncommon amongst common. Jason Moore, you are episode five's winner of opening arguments. You got 15 seconds. What do you want to say, sir? I want to say fantastic job by Steph and, and great job hosting. Steph, you were a worthy opponent, and I think we did an even job. Um, you know, this was a, a tremendous time. I uh, really enjoyed it, and uh, I would like to defend my honor and my position and my win by coming back on in the future. Ooh, <laughs> I think that invitation will likely be extended. All right, gentlemen, this rounds out our debate section, but we always have some fun at the end of each of these shows, and we charge somebody across the sports world with contempt of court who made a bad decision, who messed up in the spotlight. And this week, we are actually going to stay right here in my home state of New Jersey. With They are uh, in the spotlight now for having to have to pay out. North Carolina, they, they are the winners of the East region. But actually, before they tipped off against St. Peter's, if you had bet on bet MGM, you were already paid out because they were paying out the runner-up 
if it was North Carolina, if St. Peter's were victors because of a caveat in New Jersey betting laws where you cannot bet on an in-state team. So no St. Peter's, no Rutgers, no Seton Hall. Now, the rule itself is supposed to be supposed to deter people, you know, from shady dealings, from point shavings. I'm sorry. This isn't the 70s and 80s anymore. The mob, Henry Hill and Goodfellas is not this Boston College cheating scandal. That's not what this is anymore. Players have the opportunity to make money with NIL and stuff like that. You're telling me I got to hop on the path train, just shoot over to New York real quick. And all of a sudden, you know what? Nope. You can't get me there. I'm over here. I'm safe zone, safe zone, safe zone. I'm sorry. That's ridiculous. <laughs> you say New Jersey and New York as well. They're, they're in cahoots on this very bad, poor job on that point. That rule must be overturned. We need to update this as we update all the rules across sports betting and stuff like this, as there's more states looking to legalize betting, and that should not be an example being set for them in their hopes to legalize. As always, guys, great having you on Episode 5 of Opening Arguments for Conduct Detrimental. I'm Colin Farrell.